Hey, I'm, I'm Owen Muir. I'm a child, adolescent, adult psychiatrist. This is the Frontier Psychiatrist Chat podcast with my dear friend, Jeremy Fox. Jeremy, introduce Hello, yourself. Jer I'm Jeremy Fox, a licensed professional counselor, EMDR therapist, trauma treatment enthusiast. Now, the thing we're going to talk about today is surprising, maybe, it's trauma therapy without the therapy part, at least mm -hmm. possibly. And I'm curious, considering your job is trauma therapist, to think together about this, because one of the things I notice is the dropout from trauma therapy can be really high. Mm -hmm. And okay. maybe we can start, and you can tell us as a trauma therapist, when you do trauma therapy now, what, are, what is the standard of care? Great question. So when I do trauma therapy, my standard of care, and we can contrast that with different methodologies, but... For EMDR or eye movement desensitization reprocessing, one of the first things we like to do as therapists is say, so EMDR is not just the eye movements and thinking about trauma. So that's actually phase four. Up till that point, we do a lot of prep work. We do treatment planning with people. We teach them some interventions to reduce their hyperarousal in their nervous system and learn to state change a little bit from upset to calmer. And then we get into that trait change stuff with EMDR desensitization, which for the listeners, that's what you're going to be most familiar with that idea of thinking about something negative, moving your eyes and that negativity going down. So standard of care is a few weeks of prep. It may be months, depending on the severity of someone's PTSD and how much time to lead up to getting to that deeper stuff you need. And that's just with EMDR therapy. If someone's trying to do trauma work with just talk and not that desensitization or exposure methodology, it's probably going to be a lot of prolonged exposure, which is another approach where you're talking about it and then reliving it and then just doing that repeatedly. That's another model or just talk with providing safety in a therapist's office. And so the standard care is going to be weeks and months, usually best case scenario. It can be expedited depending on your methodology. But the bottom line is at some point, you have to talk about your trauma. You have to talk about it. You have to relive it in some way mentally and think about it and desensitize and expose yourself to it. Yes. And for some people, that is either something they're too afraid to do or can't tolerate the process of question mark. Yeah. So the, there's two elements there for it. And both of them are really on the therapist at this time to explain and work through. So if they're, if they can't tolerate the process, then what we do is we take that model of Dan Siegel's window of tolerance, where you have the certain bounds, like the upper and the lower bounds of what someone can experience before they either go into on that upper level, that panic response to that lower level, that freezing response. Mm -hmm. And so working within that, like if someone has a very narrow window, we're going to teach them to maybe focus on one image of the trauma and desensitize some of that and then pull out of it once they're reaching that upper level where they're going to hyperventilate or something. And so that's for the tolerance and for the fear, again, being able to bites, like chunk things out, cut them up in enough thinner slices that you address the trauma as is tolerable just outside their comfort zone, not in it, because then what work gets done, but not so far out of it, you re-traumatize them. And there's that attrition of leaving treatment and just saying, I'll never get better. And, and so there is some cohort of people who don't want to put up with it and will never show up in your office to even hear that talk. Absolutely. There's always going to be that with psychotherapy. Yes. Okay. And 
that's one bit. And, and I'm interested in it because I don't want anybody to suffer. But if we're only able to treat people who can take that first step and get lucky enough to walk into a competent therapist's office and right. learn that it might not be so bad, there's already a group of people who just are never going to even know that help is possible. Absolutely. So here's the flip side of that. So it would be great. Essentially, this is the setup. If there was a therapy that helped people with trauma that didn't involve talking about your trauma ever. And I think that exists today. Excited to hear about it. I know, right? The other thing, question I have for you as a trauma therapist and with me too, right? We get exposed to the trauma of our patients. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And that can be traumatizing for us as helpers. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're a fireman and you run into a burning building and you see someone burning to death, you help somebody, but it's trauma. Yes. Vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, exposure, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Job hazard, occupational hazard. It's an occupational hazard. And yes. I, I don't even know if I told you, I'm a PCL five score of 60. Okay. Yeah. So I, right. we haven't, I don't think we have, I have bad PTSD. It turns out I went and like okay. did the assessment with my doctor and he's like, yep. And it's work related. I have, I've been stalked for years. That's not easy. Medical training is watching people die under your hands. Yeah. Absolutely. Like literally die when I was an intern and it doesn't get better later necessarily. It's, there's exposure to Trump. A lot of doctors have this. It's really common in the ICU and it, it's a thing for me. I have hypervigilance. I have those symptoms and right. I, it took doing a rating scale to see a number and go, oh, that is your face did a thing. When I said that's, is that a high score? Yes. Because it right. is. Scaling it gives and, it weight, shorthand. I was screened many years ago as part of a study when I was still in, in medical school before I was a resident, when you're a little protected. And the doctor from NIH said, have you ever seen someone die? Oh, of course you had, you're in medical school. Let's move on to the next question. Right. Like it didn't apply. Right. And, and so one of the things that I'm really interested in is, like, can we both reduce the exposure? We have people who go into fires wear a fire suit. There's no emotional no. fire suit for secondary trauma. No, there's not. It's interesting you bring that up. So it, what, one wrinkle here that would be fascinating for listeners to hear is, there's something called the blind protocol in EMDR, and that involves clients who don't want to speak and vocalize what happened to them, just basically saying shorthand terms like bad stuff or what happened to me in that room, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't ask clients to do that for our own emotional benefit. If clients have a, if our patient doesn't want to say that stuff, that's when I would suggest that it wouldn't be as a way for me to have, as you said, the emotional fire suit. But plausibly, if that was a thing, that would be good. If there's some way yeah. of protecting us from the horrible. Absolutely. Horrible. What I want to talk to you about today, after all that setup, which is actually pretty good to me anyway. So I sent you the paper about the PRISM system. I'm curious if you had a chance to peek at it. I did. And I was very fascinated with this. What we've talked about before, but maybe never recorded is I, for a year, was a neurofeedback tech. And I learned that system and I love it. It's a great way, but it was... It was not, this is obviously late breaking AI guided fMRI stuff, not just EEG. Now it's, so for, I went and trained on neurofeedback also with Bessel van der Kolk at Berkshire Medical Center with his team. 
Amazing. When I looked at it, look, what I saw was we're taking the EEG and with a hell of a lot of training, it's possible yeah. to teach someone to look at an EEG readout and help a person calm down. Like that exists as a possibility. Yes. It was completely implausible as a scalable thing to get to lots of people before. Yeah, it was. And that's part of, yeah, I went into EMDR and did a lot of other stuff in the meantime. Yeah, I think EMDR, as we talked about in our prior podcast, is really neurofeedback of a sort. We're doing neuromodulation using eye movement as one of yes. the tools is my kind of theory. Yeah, I It's think in the framework. Uh, we're training therapists to do a neuromodulation. Yes, I think right. that's accurate. And all therapy is neuromodulation at the end. So the, the, I'll describe the PRISM system for everybody and for you. So they took a bunch of research where they had people in a functional magnetic resonance imaging scanner. It's an MRI over time. And it's a little bit like a golf swing. You can't diagnose by just x-raying the club. You can say, okay, the club's bent or it's not, but it's really about the right. motion of the swing. And yes. so for trauma, depression, et cetera, it's the motion of your brain talking to itself that is impaired. And so they had an EEG on people and they had them in a scanner and they took scans of the brain working mm -hmm. and they compared that to the brain waves of the brain working. So they had two ways of looking at the brain working at once. And they got enough of that data that they can do it now without needing the scan. So they trained the EEG to pick up the amygdala signal. Which is so spectacularly relevant people with PTSD. It is the fear center of the brain. Yes. And so they trained the brainwave detector to on the pictures of the amygdala in the brain movie machine. And now you don't need the movie anymore. You can just see the epiphenomenon from the brainwaves. Mm -hmm. And the treatment now is watching a computer game with your eyes and ears. And in the game, you see a bunch of people in a waiting room and they're frustrated. And the brain task is to figure out the strategy for you to think just the right way to get the people in the game to sit down. Uh, okay. And shut up. And if you're doing it right, you're getting them to sit down and shut up. The way it, otherwise they're screaming and complaining and saying, look at the time. I'm just trying to help. It's very stressful. <laughs> but it's not about your trauma. So it's a generically stressful situation that activates the amygdala, your center. But it's not about your trauma and you don't say anything. You don't have to describe what happened to you. You're just right. zoning in on that fear control center of the brain and pushing its reactivity downward with your mind. So it's experience. Yes. It's a tool to take the methodology of neurofeedback, calibrate it to the amygdala, and do it reliably for people so they learn to just calm down. It basically productizes and systematizes and automates the just part of just calm down. No, that's amazing. It's real-time feedback. Real-time feedback. And I, I'm a big fan of neurofeedback just for I hear about all the leaps and bounds it makes. It just, it's fascinating to hear in it. And it's so much more quantifiable than a lot of other therapies. Obviously, I'm biased. I think that's great. I hope that it becomes cost effective and it's something that there a lot of neurofeedback technicians have a therapeutic background i know the one that i interned under did mm -hmm. i do obviously and others like naturopaths or doctors or physicians or nurse medicine, whatever 
So I see these fields as overlapping and yep. people who want somebody to talk to, even when they have psychiatrists and get medications, they still want to talk with yeah. people. And so this is a way for me. So this is a prescription device. So you have to be a prescriber. Right. Uh, okay. I, there are only four in the country thus far. I'm one of them. My good friend, Ben Spielberg, is another at Bespoke. And it's a prescription treatment. You got to come in the office. You got to sit down for 30, 45 minutes. Okay. And do this thing. But you took a look at the paper. What'd you see? I looked at it and I saw that the, it was two weeks of treatment and that it was sustainable. And that's what's amazing to me is that it's something that is very practical and really upends what, what, what's possible with trauma treatment. Yeah. So it, it works pretty fast. I'm, I'm looking at effect sizes on PTSD instruments. It's a baller treatment for, for PTSD. So the bonkers thing, at least to me, when I look at that and I see, wait, so this is a treatment for PTSD that is effective at a level better than any pill for any condition in all psychiatry. It affects as over one. Yes. Why would I prescribe something else? Yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, that's bonkers. No one has to be talking for it to work. Nope. And look what happens three months later. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. It goes up, which is amazing. The the treatment has a bigger effect three months after. after. Yeah. Do you know of anything like that? Because I don't. No, I don't. No, I definitely don't, to be honest with you. I could probably find some yeah. stuff about EMDR and, and treatment sustainability. Yeah. But I will. But this isn't sustained. This is the, this is not. Yeah, it's not that. It's not sustaining an effect. The effect it gets increased. better later. Yes. I don't. What is that attributed to? I don't know. I do know when we look at the magnesium ibogaine data, which is also an effective treatment for PTSD, at least in the initial right. paper Dr. Williams et al. published, but their disability improvements, they had an immediate effect in symptoms. The disability improvements didn't happen until later. Okay. So I, we're seeing a pattern of these potent interventions that not only work right away, but get better over time. Okay. And we don't, this is a brand new wave of stuff. I'm looking at the magnesium ibogaine therapy paper that came out January 5th of this year. That's just something I, that's a whole other thing I'll have to acquaint myself. That's with. our next chat, but that's again, Crazy sing, world. single dose treatment and people are doing remarkably well and it gets better over time. To put it mildly, it's unheard of. And I wonder how that's going to change the landscape of medicine. If this is going to be fast-tracked, if we're going to really see this deployed pretty rapidly, I hope so. It's going to mean someone's going to have to pay for it. And I'm wondering who that's going to be. <laughs> the reason to have these conversations is because it turns out that like laws can be passed. You could call your lawmaker right now and say, you know what I want? I want this thing to be covered. So chiropractic is a great example of this. Chiropractors are really organized. And in many states, chiropractic services are included by law because a bunch of chiropractors did a good job of lobbying. Yes. That's As citizens, we are free to lobby for anything we want. And you can call your elected representative in your state and say, in my state, I want the best trauma treatment to be available without meds or a therapist right now. By law, please pass it. It's called this prism system thing. Ohio did this with TMS. Every Ohio Medicaid plan covers transcranial magnetic stimulation. Every plan in the state, by law, covers TMS because somebody 
lobbied to get it covered for the entire state. And now it's the That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get in touch with that person and do the same thing here for in Georgia, to yeah. be honest with you. And in fact, I, I'm looking at it right now. So you can just look at the statute on the books in Ohio. Copy, paste, send it to your local Georgia representative and say, please introduce this bill. By the way, include PRISM PTSD treatment while we're at it. That's right. PRISM PTSD system. I'm all about it now. I'm excited. Yeah. And my, my point is, free as a trauma therapist, I don't think you're going to run out of work, right? Because this doesn't work for everybody. Awesome. Plenty of people are going right. to need to talk about it. Plenty of people are going to need to talk about after their trauma symptoms are better. That's when the really exciting work is, because then you're not afraid of therapy anymore. Right? I'd love therapists right. to have more interesting work, not just reducing those initial terrifying symptoms, but figuring out what to do next. So yeah. that, that's the future that I see with this. And thanks for having the conversation with me. What are your closing thoughts on that? Oh. My closing thoughts are there's been such a hit or miss hopeful, like prayerful attitude toward trauma therapy. EMDR is massive. We know it works extremely well. This being a treatment that just to bullet point it doesn't require you to relive the experience, doesn't require you to sit and rehearse it, even in your mind without words, that instead you're actively gamifying and learning to be like at the gym, lowering, like modulating your, maybe like a muscle. It really fits in with this new wave of psychiatry treatment. And the only question now is where do we go from here in funding it and getting the word out? That I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks for joining me on the Frontier Psychiatrist podcast. I'm Owen Muir, uh, MD. This is my friend. Jeremy Fox, LPC. It's been a pleasure. As always. Can't wait to talk next.